All right, guys, Brandon Lewis here. If you if you would go ahead, as I mentioned previously, turn on your uh, camera so everybody can see you. It makes for a better program. Happy New Year. I'm hoping that 2023 will be your best year ever in your painting business. I'm going to get right into it. Uh, today, we are here to discuss uh, what you can expect at the Painting Profit Summit. And uh, John, if you are tuning in, John's not on here yet. If you would go and turn off the air conditioner in this building, that would be great because it just kicked on and it's very loud. Uh, we're going to go through uh, what you can expect. Stephen, welcome at the Painting Profit Summit. And then I'm just going to take general questions about the event and about um, anything you have related to your business. We'll just get right into it. So here's what I hope you'll discover today. I don't know if you can see this behind me. Uh, what makes the Painting Profits Summit uh, effective at creating business transformations? It's the reason that we will now be doing it for seven years. A breakdown of the agenda and the speakers, some logistical concerns. Every time you travel, you've got questions about that travel. Special offer for those who watch to the end. And then at the end, I'll just let you ask me any questions you want about your business. It doesn't have to have anything to do uh, with the summit at all. So first off, what makes the Painting Profit Summit so effective? And I think it's really a handful of things. Number one is real possibilities through fresh perspectives. And this is some of the kind of conceptual stuff. Um, I can't tell you how often people get on the phone with me. Uh, Bino, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, people, they think that the painting industry sucks. And they think that running a painting business, you should be broke. And that every day should be stressful and aggra aggra aggravating and that no one's ever figured this out and that whatever the, you know, the old rusty vans and the old rusty uh, pickup trucks that you see at the paint store is about all you can expect out of this industry. And it's just not the case. And while me telling people that brings a lot of people around, a lot of people don't trust me <laughs> because I make a living doing this. And so when you get in a room with your peers, who unless I have magically like, you know, stolen their minds through mind control, and I promise you, if I had mind control capabilities, I would not be doing this crap. I, I would be doing something different. I would be gambling or uh, or something like that. And so unless I've done that, uh, then these people are just expressing their opinions and feelings uh, and it before uh, events, after hours, all that stuff. And you just see that while wow, there's a whole different world out there, and there are a lot of different things that that I can expect from the industry, right thinking versus wrong thinking. Um, so number one, you, you'll see people when you go uh, to this event that are wealthy, successful, and their lives are not terrible, and they're not living in a meat grinder every day, and they're not just stressed out. And you're like, wow, here are these people. They're in this room. There's a better, there's a better way. But then a lot of times people come to the event and they'll be doing something and they'll get in a peer group uh, and they'll say, no, that's that's not the right way to think about that. No, that's not correct. And then after, you know, you hear about a dozen people who are trying to help you kind of drive you away from that way of thinking, then now you can think correctly about a situation. And uh, until you can think correctly, then nothing happens. So here's the the two things that I think that there are more, two big things I think that are important in any any situation. And that is this. Uh, I don't care what business you run, and I've ran different businesses in completely different um, areas of life. Political campaigns, news publication, painting business, coaching painting contractors, nonprofit and political fundraising. I've done all kinds of different things. 
And what I have found that, that, that you need to immediately do as quickly as you can is you need to find the landmines. Like, what are the things that if I do are going to waste my time, waste my money, destroy my business? What the things that are not working and, and most businesses that are not doing well or that have uh, big problems in their business, like they are, they are typically just stepping on landmines every day, but they don't even know it. They don't know that that's a landmine. And then there are things that are like launch pads. And these are things that if you do them and you do them well, it makes a huge difference in your business. It either reduces uh, problems or it creates massive opportunities. And so like if you're running a business and let's say that the spectrum of good to bad is, is possibly potentially this big, right? What you want to do is just push the guardrails on the road together to where you're like, okay, can I bump in between the guardrails? Yeah. But am I going to end up in the ditch? Am I going to end up in oncoming traffic? The answer is no. And that's really where you want to be. So the right combinations, uh, presentations, peer groups, and personal connections. So uh, another reason this event, I think, works so well is because we don't just do one thing. So number one, we have presentations. Uh, when somebody has to, especially their painting contractors, right? The folks that you will see at my event are not professional speakers. And so I always tell people at the beginning of the event, have some grace. What if this was you up here mucking it around? I mean, you know, a lot of people don't speak publicly, but they're really successful in their business, but they're maybe not public speakers, but most of them do a pretty good job anyway. And uh, guys, some of y'all that have just recently arrived here, if you could turn on your camera, that'd be great. It makes for a, a more professional, entertaining. Hey, John, Robert, thank you very much. So see, guys, it pays that. Now, if you turn on your camera, you got to have to actually have it on unless you are indeed a black screen, which you might be. You never know, whatever you identify as. And so... The the thing that, that makes it good is you got presentations, right? And these are just people that that do what you do for a living, right? And when you have to put together a presentation, especially if you don't do it for a living, you have to think about it, right? If you give somebody just an opportunity to just run on at the mouth, they will, and they'll be all over the place a lot of times. But if they have to distill it to a concise, timed presentation – and if they're going to get on a plane and drive all the way to present to you as a peer, like they usually have something really good to say. So that's the, the presentation, right? Then you have the peer groups. And the way that the peer groups work, and I'm going to get into this after a while uh, in, in more detail, is we break you up into your company based on sales volume. So we'll have some people that are running, you know, four, five, $25 million painting companies. And then we'll have some folks that are startups to maybe year two or three, and then we'll have people in the middle. So these are all folks that are kind of dealing with similar things and you get to talk to them about what's going on. And uh, I'll talk to you about how we go through that. And then personal connections. Every year at this event, people meet folks and later on they become friends. They stay in contact with one another. They mentor each other. They sell, uh, they share resources. And so it's that combination, I think, that works very well. And we, I guess I could put that we also have some professional instruction in here, which I'll get to in a minute. And then you find vendors and resources that can help you. We'll have some great vendors and resources there, people that are very nice, that really care about painting contractors to help you solve some very common problems, paint pricing problems. Uh, we've had so much inflation in the market on that regard. There are things that you can do to, to mitigate that how you produce professional estimates, how you keep up with your finances in a way that doesn't drive you crazy and doesn't suck up your time uh, by people that can actually give you data within the industry that would make sense, which your CPA typically can't do. So let's get into a breakdown of the agenda and the speakers. 
So the first thing that we do, and this is uh, Thursday from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., and this is how to recruit, hire, and onboard painters, even in a labor shortage. And this is the, this is really about the only time I present during this whole event. So if you're coming to see me, you're just going to be disappointed because this is about all I do, okay? Because y'all hear from me all freaking year long. I want you to hear from each other. That's why I bring everybody together and I let y'all talk to each other. Um, and I don't, y'all are the ones that really make this event work out well. And so we get there, and the first thing we're going to cover in the first section is generating leads uh, for potential hires with the mindset, messaging, and mediums that work. So when you're recruiting, you got to realize that it really is a marketing and a sales function. It has nothing to do with hiring. Hiring is almost beside the point. Uh, just as you try to sell painting jobs and just as you put together a fantastic persuasive sales process with pre-positioning, presenting, post-positioning, powerful proof, tools, et cetera, uh, follow-up. You got to do the same thing with recruiting. So everything that you do to make the phone ring, the email ding, or the form fill, or the application get a, a submission, what what do you need to do to be better than your competitors so that you can find the labor that you need? And every painter, if you're charging $50 an hour to $60 an hour, that painter is going to generate somewhere between $100,000 to $120,000 in revenue. And you can't you can't be cheap about expensive things. And we're going to teach you how to make that phone ring. We're going to talk about Spanish uh, recruitment and outreach. Most people do a terrible job reaching out to this community, especially the gringos. Gringos are terrible at this. Uh, so we got to get we got to get y'all better at it. And, you know, and even folks that speak Spanish do a crappy job of this. Uh, but we're going to talk about Spanish uh, outreach. And that may or may not apply as much in your market. Some markets, it's, it's more prevalent than others. Hiring, screening, and onboarding. How do you make sure from the time that somebody walks into your door that you have a way to quickly and easily assess their technical skills and their non-technical skills? And there's a whole host of ways you can do that. Background checks, drug screening, uh, technical skills assessments that take about 30 minutes or less to conduct, which will not only tell you if they can paint, but it'll also tell you if they can follow instructions and fill out paperwork. And most people leave that out. Well, that's kind of an important part, especially for crew leaders. And then we'll talk about retaining the interest and trust of potential hires, even when you don't need them right away. Painters have this bad habit of thinking, well, if I don't need somebody right away, I'm going to talk to them, and then I'm not going to talk to them again until I need them, which might be six months from now. You know, it just doesn't work. You've got to keep that communication line open for your top 10%, uh, because just as this is a big decision for you, it's an even bigger decision for the employee. People don't think about that. I mean, next to, you know, picking your wife, your friends, your church maybe where you live, like your job is somewhere in that category. And you, you can't, well, well, it's just some, 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 um, this little, just kind of uh, impersonal transaction. Well, it's not impersonal for these people. And so if you treat it as an impersonal transaction, you're going to get really bad results. So we're going to go through all that. We're going to spend four hours on it. And what you'll do is you'll walk away with about four better than franchise grade. Cause I've worked with every franchise in existence at the owner level, and I've worked for one of the, the second largest for four years as an independent consultant. I know the type of systems they have, and ours are better because I've just seen it all because I'm kind of like a librarian for all things painting contractors. After you work with 450, you learn a thing or two. And so we're, you're going to walk away with four to five done-for-you toolkits, like franchise grade. Like as soon as you get home, you can plug this stuff in. This isn't me just telling you how to do it. Like your recruitment ads will be written. Uh, your intake forms will be put together, uh, the assessments that you do uh, on paper, 
ready to be implemented. Like you just got to go home and do it. Okay. And so that's, that's optional. You don't have to come to that, but a lot of people sign on for the pre-day. From there, we have the welcome reception. It'll be Thursday at 7 p.m. This year, it will be at the Weston Hotel. People have a good time at this thing. I mean, I used to have live music every year. I'm not going to have live music this year, and I'll tell you why. Because nobody cares. They just talk to each other. Like, like paint, 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 paint. They can't even, they can't get away from each other like they, and a lot of them know, have known each other because they keep coming back to the event. But like, there, here's this poor old schmo over here playing and all the guys just can't, they, you can't even hear him play because everybody's just talking so loud. And then I get complaints that we have music and they can't hear each other talk. So there'll be no music this year. Harumph, harumph, bah humbug. But this is a great, um, this is a great event. People just get together. Uh, we'll have heavy hors d'oeuvres, uh, drink tickets, and you'll just get to meet people. Uh, then that way you'll know somebody when you walk in first thing in the morning. Not everybody comes to this because of flights, and some people don't like to be around alcohol at all, and they just don't come. And so if that's you, that's fine. Just show up at eight, eight o'clock the next morning. Uh, we do have an awards dinner. This is out of chronological order. We have an awards dinner on Friday night, uh, which is 7 p.m. Eastern, and we recognize people that have doubled, tripled, quadrupled their income, that have gone from 300000 to $3 million, people that I've worked with now for years, uh, folks that have just done amazing things, brought on the right people, hired the right people, solved the problems, uh, implemented sales systems, put marketing systems in place, whatever, you name it. Um, and so these are – it's just a really good time to celebrate. I mean, we don't celebrate – Name me a time where anybody in the painting industry gets recognized for doing better with their personal finances and the running of the business. Does not exist. I know because I've never found one. And if they're hiding, they're hiding really well because I pay attention to this stuff. So it's just a great time. We need to celebrate our successes. So general sessions. It starts at 8 a.m. and it goes to 12 p.m. and that is Friday and Saturday. So our mornings start off with general sessions, then we have a networking lunch, and then we have the peer groups, and that repeats two days in a row with different evening events, if you want to think about it that way. So the first one that's going to be speaking is Roger Carroll. I, I don't know exactly where he is right now, but I think he runs somewhere around a $25 million painting business. And so if you don't think you can learn something from somebody that's got like hundreds of painters working for him that has really good profit margins at that size, you're crazy. And he's very uh, dynamic, very charismatic, but he's also very caring and willing to help. And uh, he's going to talk about how do you achieve legitimate market dominance. Let me tell you how unusual uh, this gentleman is. And I mean that in a good way. I've been doing this for over eight years. Do you know how many times I've seen a painting company actually dominate a marketplace? Anybody want to guess? Just hold up a finger once jeff says one you said steven says zero this is the only person i've ever met i think he's i think he's in a town of like i don't know you could look up jacksonville north carolina i think it's like seventeen thousand people it's not big and so and it, he has now reached out a little bit around collar counties but he's mainly local and that just goes to show you most people are like oh i need to go to a new market i'm like well how, they got 0.005 percent market share and they think if they go to another town that's going to solve their problems no it just makes more problems you just need to you need to do well in the market that you're in uh landing large commercial maintenance contracts wave your hand if you'd like to have more commercial repaints not new construction but repaints warehouses schools universities 
assisted living facilities, hospitals, manufacturers, places where after you build that relationship, it's just like, could you come paint this? It's more like a work order, less like a sales job. And these guys spend sometimes 50,000, sometimes 250, sometimes three or $400,000 a year with you, depending on the year, depending on the type of account. Uh, Matt's done a great job of doing this. Uh, and, and it's also got a story of transitioning away from new construction into this, which is a painful transition. So you, you want to hear him. Um, a lot of folks work as husband wife teams and they work very hard for years and years and years. And then like, but they don't have as much to show for it as they'd like. And then they put a few key things in place and they watch their income double and triple. And it's like a good feeling. And so a lot of that has to do with how you build relationships for predictability and growth with your clients. And that does not happen by doing a good job. Everybody out there does a good job and that does not keep the phone ringing, does not keep you perpetually growing. It doesn't. I'm sorry. There are a lot of broke craftsmen out there, a lot of them. And uh, that is not that is not the key, but they're going to talk to you about the gold mine that you're sitting on and how to exploit it. All, all of you, if you've been in business like two or three years or more, and especially if you've been in business 10 years or more, five, six, seven years, you're just sitting on gobs of money that you're probably not tapping into. Okay. Tom Curran runs a big old painting business about I think it's around 6 million. I can't remember. I don't have my notes in front of me. He's a platinum member, somebody that I've coached. And he did one of the most difficult things in existence in painting to do. If any of you run large painting businesses and you've got lots of direct reports, you've got like, I think Tom had like four or five estimators, project managers, a remodeling division, and all kinds of stuff. And he's happy to tell you, and he'll go through a story like his profit margins were abysmal. And he had a lot of people on on the team that shouldn't be on the team. And it was very painful uh, for him to let some people go. No, to give them opportunities elsewhere, uh, to let some people go and to turn around. I mean, it, he was all, it, very small, like to I, I think maybe six or seven times his income in a very short period of time, like 12, 14 months. And it's one of the hardest things to do is to turn around a large painting business. If your small painting business is broke, medium-sized painting business without too many direct reports other than painters, you can be making double, triple year-over-year year income in like 90 days if you hustle. You can see improvements in 30 days. Big painting business, everybody else has got to do that stuff. Very difficult. It's hard and it's slow. And you think because you have more resources – you could do more and make more changes quicker, but it's not the case. The smaller you are, the easier it is. The bigger you are, the harder it is to turn that boat around. And Tom turned a really big boat around uh, in the painting industry. Um, increase, increasing your monthly income. It can be very stressful to go through a year and to work hard and to make less than what you should. And if you want to think about it like this, I mean, just keeping it simple. If, if you charge 50 bucks an hour for your own personal labor painting, there's 2,000 labor hours. That's $100,000. You just paint. No employees. 2,000 labor hours. Very simple. But we overcomplicate things in our painting business. Really overcomplicate it. And so when you take that complicated mess and you turn it into something simple and you focus on what you need to, it does not take you long to see a huge swing in income. And uh, Danny and Shay are going to talk to you about some of the things that they did there. Okay, Jeremy Yates, tools uh, and tracking for higher project profits. If you're not making 50% gross profits on your projects, that means you're doing a $10,000 project. 
and you should 5,000 of it should be left over before overhead. Okay. Labor materials and, and your um, labor burden, which is workers comp general liability and whatever you pay uncle Sam or whatever government that you slave away for. So if you give that money to them, you should have half of it left over before overhead comes out, marketing, rent, whatever else you've got. And so when you run a big painting business like Jeremy does, and if you're, and if you're, if you're not in that 50% range, it is hard, 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 hard to have a whole lot of money left over. And so Jeremy put in some really cool uh, tracking and used some tools that lifted his gross profits on all his projects overall. And it made a huge difference in the bottom line. And he's going to talk to you about that. Uh, John is going to talk to you about, that's him, John. He's going to talk to you about how you generate on, uh, leads online without spending a fortune. There's been so many changes in online search in a short period of time. And John's going to talk to you. I mean, I think John's built over 100 painting websites, just painting websites. That's all we do is painting websites and things that are related to painting uh, online digital property, not renting your leads, not buying your leads, but building digital real estate that like, uh, just like rental income, right? You have a rental property, it produces rental income. Well, if you have a digital property that you own, it should produce painting income. And he's going to talk to you about how to build those properties. And if your properties aren't performing very well, reach out to me. I can connect you to John today. And I'm going to talk to you about just some lessons I've learned from working with 450 plus, plus painting contractors. I've just learned a few things and they seem to repeat themselves. So they just so uh, consistently, I'm going to share some of those things with you. And that's going to be a very short talk outside of pre-day. You won't hear from me. It's all peer driven. All right, peer groups. These are going to happen Friday and Saturday from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Okay, we've got in the morning you show up. It's kind of like classroom style. We have breaks so that y'all can go to the bathroom and get on your phone. You know, if you're if you're on your phone goofing off during the sessions or whatever, I'm gonna like I'm gonna just just say, hey, would you put your phone down? Be present. Right here we are. You didn't drive all the way here and fly here to look at your phone. You can do that when you're you do that when you're at the house. And so in the peer groups, we get together in the evenings after or in the afternoons after um, after our networking lunch. And these are just great times. And we you, you get in a separate room just with people that are similar to you and your business size. And you get to spend time getting to know these people over two days. Um, and you'll you'll make relationships and friends. And the thing that's interesting about peer groups is the painting businesses are pretty simple. What do you got? You got this. Marketing. These are the topics we're going to cover. And these are allocated for a specific time. And I've got some guided questions. We used to do peer groups differently. Where you presented your biggest problem and your biggest takeaway. But a lot of people just weren't very prepared. And that format kind of got a little stale. And so we're switching it up this year. And I think this will guide better conversations. So Marketing. Managing field operations, personal development, office administration and finance, recruiting and hiring of painters and crew leaders, sales and estimating, hiring and managing non-field direct reports. Those would be like your estimators, your operations managers, and then free play. You just submit a question, and we have some pockets of time for just random stuff. Most of it, honestly, most of your questions will get covered in this because there's only 
everybody's got problems, right? So I've got a problem generating leads. Well, there's somebody in there that you know, about half the people don't have trouble with that. Then we'll have trouble hiring painters. Well, about a third of the people to half the people don't have problems with that. And so everyone has strengths and weaknesses, and those people that have strengths can help you with your weaknesses. And it's just the best way to learn best practices. And also, uh, it lets you know what people are doing in painting businesses your size, especially those that are more profitable, uh, could give you some tips. Logistics, we're almost done here. Host hotel, we're going to be in the Westin. Westin's great hotel. I think it has, it's like won the award for highest guest satisfaction in the nation two or three times since it's been built. So like the service is good. Uh, they recently remodeled the rooms, although they didn't really need it. Uh, it's just a good look. It's a good uh, hotel. And as soon as you walk out the door, just walk out the door, like there's restaurants. And if you hang a right and go two or three blocks down and hang a left, there's more restaurants and shopping and there's uh, breweries and distilleries and the river and the aquarium. Um, I'm, I'm partial to my town because I live here. I love it. I'm an ambassador for Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, we've got great, beautiful outdoor scenery. We've got um, the aquarium that people give the highest rates for their experience in the nation. I think we win that about every other year because people just love the aquarium and they love the, the atmosphere. Um, we've got, there's all kinds of stuff you can do if you want to come a day early, stay a day late, uh, just go online and look look at things to do in Chattanooga. There's tons of restaurants, tons of um, outdoor attractions around here that you'd like. And we provide lunch and dinner. People sometimes ask, are the meals included? Yes, lunch and dinner is included. Breakfast, use BYOB, bring your own breakfast or buy your own breakfast. And so that is out in the lobby and it's not expensive. It's just like a, there's a little place and they're pretty quick that you can get a breakfast sandwich or whatever you want, or you can sit down and have a nice breakfast where somebody waits on you. It's up to you. So in closing, this is what I would just say, generally speaking, about people that may or may not want to come to this. It, it surprises me that more painters don't come to this event out of the 400,000. I think that's about how many painters we have, like painting companies in the United States. Now, the average painting business is 1.7 people. It's a dude and two-thirds of a helper. That's it. That's the average painting business. So if you got three people, you're twice as big as the average <laughs> And if you if you got 10, you're like a monster. I mean, that's just as numbers go in this industry. But why people like they do something for a living, but they don't ever make a serious outside study of the profession. Like, I mean, really try this next time. I don't know that you would, but when you're at the paint store, ask somebody, have you ever read a book on how to run a painting business? Have you ever talked to somebody that maybe knew a little better? Have you ever gone to a class? Not not how to paint, but the brush on the wall. But how do I make money at the, the thing you do? Let me know if somebody says yes. I bet the chances are that 29 out of 30 have never even cracked a book on it. And it just baffles me uh, because it is just a service business. You buy labor wholesale, you sell it retail, you find clients and keep them for life through consistent communication. There's only two main things you do. And so I think if you're going to spend 40, 60 hours a week doing something for a living that feeds your family and, and kind of points you in the direction you're going to go in life, you ought to like, take, a, take a few hours a year to like go get better at it. And that's just me. But I can, what I always say, I can make the eagles fly higher, but I can't turn turkeys into eagles. So I quit trying. <laughs> I just do my best. So for those of you who have watched to the end, and this would be the end, if you'll use code uh, save 100 now, and that's all one word, 
run on save 100 now uh, through january 4th it'll save you 100 bucks just for watching this i'm just burying this in the video and so save 100 now and you can go to uh, paintersacademy.com summit you've gotten tons of emails and text messages from me about this event so before we get into just general business questions i got through this in less than right about a half hour what questions does anyone have about the event specifically? And we have virtual tickets as well. I didn't put that in there, but we have virtual tickets. Um, and I conduct the peer groups via Zoom for the virtual sessions over three days. And that's the next week. It's like Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I think, John, or is it Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday? Okay. I, I, it's either Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's on the website. But we do it via, via Zoom, and we'll be using the same guided template, and we take breaks just like we do in the general because, I mean, you can't just do that forever. So we'll take a 10-minute break. Everybody go use the bathroom, do whatever you got to do, come back. Uh, so we do that uh, live, and then, of course, you get recordings of everything. Should you miss a session, you can watch one day. You can't watch the other. Can't watch any of it. Just want to watch it on demand. That's fine. You don't even have to show up, although... I think it makes you pay more attention if you do. So before we get uh, into anything else, does anybody have any questions about Summit, just the the event? Just wave, wave. we're doing this very scientifically. Just wave your hand at the screen. Uh, Alberto, go ahead, buddy. Hey, what's up, Brandon? Um, so really quick, I forgot. Um, is the link going to have like hotel room pricing as well? Like so we can buy everything at once? So here's how it happens. You go to the page put in save 100 uh -huh. and actually you want to put in your member tag okay. your member discount don't put in save 100 because you will save more okay Email me after this is over and i'll send that to you because for the pre-day it makes the pre-day almost free okay so send me an email i don't want you to overpay cool, uh but you save 100 now you just click go to the order form which is on there you know virtual live and then it has some options like you can add on the pre-day if you want it you can add on a guest uh tickets are 697 for the owner and guests are 497 i wish i could make them cheaper but this catering and av and everything and taxes so and worth it it's gratuity it's like gosh like it's been we don't make hardly anything off this event uh, on the ticket prices i mean it because the it's just so expensive um, we've kept the ticket prices about the same for years. So, but uh, anyway, but when you buy your ticket, then it immediately takes you to a landing page. And that landing page has the discounts, the group discounts. Now, those things expire on January 4th. So it goes from, I bet it'll go from 179 to like 400. Okay. Just because those rooms downtown are expensive, but they give us a real good deal every year. And the lady that, I know the man that owns the hotel. And he supports my publication, and I know uh, my other con my my news publication. And then the lady that runs the hotel, I know her, and I've known I've known both of them for about twenty years. So they give me they they're very helpful and very thankful to have those people help me with this event. So that's how that works. Okay, thank you. Appreciate you. All right. Other questions about the event? Just wave your hand at the screen, and then we'll get into general business questions. Any other questions? Anything I left out that y'all know the answers to that I should have said, but I forgot because sometimes I forget things. Yeah, I got no. a question there. Oh, who is it? Hey, it's Robert. Oh, it's weird, Robert. Go ahead. Your mute, your mute <laughs> thing's on, but you're talking. It's so strange. Go ahead. Oh, weird. 
Well, first off, thanks for putting this together. Right? And I follow you a lot on LinkedIn and that's some good stuff. I think well, thank it's really you. great to see that. Um, I'm kind of excited to get, get involved and learn about learn about pain more, you know. Yeah, that guy that needs to get that book and learn more about it. <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Well, I mean, that's it, it it's never too late. I've worked with people in their 60s. You're a lot younger, I can tell by looking at you, but I work with people that are in their 60s and 70s that are yeah. like about to get out of this industry. And they're like, I need to make some money before I retire. And I need to be able to sell this business. And they spend their last three years wishing they'd done their first 30 like this. And I was just telling them, you can't, there's no rewind button. We're all going to be worm food and shortly. And we had all of us. Yeah. And so, um, so you just do the best you can when you can. And today's the day to, to start doing the new journey. Do you have any specific event questions? Yeah. Um, so I started about three years ago. I got uh, started through uh, Eric Barstow. You probably, probably familiar with him. I know Eric. I like him. Yep. I end up up around Colorado or whatever. I'll always try to grab lunch with him. There you go. So that was kind of my question. You know, it's a contractor model. Um, you talk a lot about hiring painters hourly. Is I mean, is it's a good event for me still, no matter what. Are there other guys there that kind of run their business that way? Oh yeah. Um, so you for peer groups and stuff. You know, I, I don't know. I just it doesn't make any. I mean. You buy labor wholesale, you sell it retail. You can buy it through W-2s, in which case you buy it 2,000. For the most part, you buy it 2,000 labor hours. Like we're going to give you full-time employment, although some people want part-time employment. Some companies are good at doing that. Or you do subcontract labor or you do a hybrid. And so we will have people there, and it'll probably be about – I don't know if this is how it breaks down, but it's probably about a third or – I mean probably about 25% are hybrids. And then probably 33% are all subs and 33% are all W-2s, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, the only, there's hardly any difference. I mean, if, when you have a sub model, the only thing that's any different is you, you got to make sure that you've got good subcontract agreements. You got to make sure that you, um, that you have more operational controls on them, meaning you have to, to quality control the work more, especially at the beginning. You got to make sure you don't get in trouble for dual employment with the IRS. A lot of people have subs, but they treat them like workers, like W-2 workers, really, with the way they manage them and interact with them, in which case, if they go to the labor board and say, I think I'm really being treated as a W-2 and I'm being paid as a 1099, they'll come after you for all the taxes for as long as you've had it, and then you have to defend it in court against the IRS, and it is not pleasant. So make sure if you're running subs, and this is just a, a message for everybody, that you have your you legally and operationally have your nose real clean. Because it doesn't happen much that people get in trouble with this, but when they do get in trouble, it's like being hit by a Mack truck and you can't bankrupt your way out of the debt. And you just owe it until you die. And then they'll probably tax your kids. I don't know. I'd making that up, but they probably would if they could. And they may at some point in the future. Um so that's it doesn't really matter what what type of operations, because, I mean, the hiring and recruitment function is the same. The marketing function is the same. The operations function is almost the same. It doesn't make much of a difference. Sounds good. Thank you. Very good. Brian, go ahead, sir. Hey, Brandon, uh, thanks for, for doing this and for having me. A uh, couple quick questions for the virtual summit. What is the um, price for that and what um, when do we have? until to register for that it's 497 with your discount if you use this it'd be 397 and um i don't know when it, there's a there's a john can you look on the website there there's a cutoff for it and it's mainly just for us it's for our not 
being crazy um, because people like register at the last minute. Then you got a lot. We, we try to mail people stuff in advance. Like we got a mail package that we send to people and um, we want to get that out the door to you. And if, if, if we don't have enough time, we can't get that to you. And then just to make sure that we have the, the groups broken up and everything, it's just, you know, if people could, you know, not register last minute, it's helpful to us. But what is that date, John? It's on there. John's looking. You built the website. You should know, John. Come on now. And Brandon, last question on that. Um, how many days is virtual summit? Well, if you do the pre-day, it would be Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then it's going to be one of three days the following week, depending on your company size. And as soon as you register, well, as soon as everybody registers, then we we send out a survey to get some information from you about mainly just your sales size. We put you into a group and then we email you, okay, this is when your day is going to be. And then we send you all the credentials for, we send you the credentials for the general session or whatever session you're going to do. And then we also send you credentials for the Zoom meeting uh, for the peer groups that day. So that will depend. January 20th, John says, is the cutoff for uh, virtual. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Brown, for asking. Anybody else have any other questions related to the event? And then we'll just go into general business questions. From Kathy, what if I'm from Canada? I really want to come, but can't afford it. Well, maybe you could hitch a ride with Danny and Shay, or maybe you could go in their, go in their uh, stowaway luggage. If, I don't know. It depends on if the TSA doesn't catch much. They did a study. They, like if you try to run a gun through TSA, they only get you about 30% of the time. They hire private contractors. It's like just all this big show. So you could probably be stuffed in their suitcase because they're coming down from Canada to speak. Uh, but you'll have to make arrangements with them. Kathy, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you, the, register, the, the virtual is $397 with the discount. So hopefully you can swing that. Uh, we'd love to have you. So we used to have, for a while, it took, it took um, almost two years we couldn't have Canadians come across because of all the restrictions and everything. It was very difficult for them. And I told them, you just don't need to come through Canada. You need to come through Mexico because that border's wide open. You just go down there and come through, and we just make, make do an end run. It'd be easier for you to get in. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Just bought both events. Appreciate you, buddy. Look forward to seeing you there. Uh, other questions? Questions about the event? All right, guys, we're going to move into general event or just general business questions. Any question you want to ask, I probably know the answer. And if I don't, I will tell you that I don't know. So if you have any just general business questions about anything, it could be very specific, very general, doesn't make a difference. Just wave your hand at the screen which means that if you have general business questions and you're not showing your computer, I can't see you wave your hand no matter how hard you wave it. So you need to turn your screen on first and I will come to you. So does anybody have any general business questions? Just wave your hand at the screen. If not, I'm going to move on to other things. I got stuff to do today. Anybody else? Nobody has any general business. Oh, we got one from Jeff. Jeff, go ahead. Somebody's got to be first. Hey, so um, I brought this question up to you before. Um, not the same question. So the RMO, the Responsible Managing Officer, um, there's Facebook groups. Like I think it's called California Licensed Painters. These are different groups where they allow people to ask questions. So I was looking at just basically just asking a general question to the group members on anyone who's in California that's um, would like to be an RMO. Um, do you think that's a that's like the best way of doing it? Or do you have any other ideas? 
Okay, so here's what here's what Jeff's asking. Just to bring you up to speed. California, you have to give a blood sample in your firstborn child and then wait a long time to get a license. Do this on a wall with your hands and paint stuff. Very lots like the worst. It's like the worst state in the union to run a painting business. And I just after working with so many Californians, it's just tough. If you especially if getting into it, it's even tougher. And so there's you have to have somebody babysit you for the first year or or pledge to babysit you for oh god three years three years you know here in Tennessee you just walk out the door and you're in business <laughs> uh, so would I do that I would do that to prospect for people that would consider doing it but you got to be really careful with your interview process and make sure that you don't get tethered to somebody for three years that you may not like. Uh, in that situation, there's so much on the line and so much at stake, I would probably be more apt to go through a more professional outfit like what you had mentioned previously. Now, you could probably save some money, but you really, if you didn't have any way to evaluate them as an RMO resource, I would be really hesitant because you probably will want to ask questions and and to get some assistance for what you're going to pay them. And I, I wouldn't want to to roll the dice on that and maybe get somebody that you'd be saddled with that you wouldn't like. There's a there, there's an agency I talked to uh, two days ago. They charge two thousand as a headhunter, and then um, that's it's a one time fee, one time fee of two thousand dollars, and then I I would negotiate whatever the price is and. She said it might be like around between a thousand twelve hundred, but it's all whatever you negotiate uh, per month to the RMO. Gosh, that's, that's like seems like a seems like some kind of shakedown or a racket. Um, I don't know. Well, if you're going to do that, if you've got to pay that much, then I would shop it real well. I'm, and there's got to be somebody out there who actually knows that they can make some money off this and provides a, a at least more than just, hey, well, I'll sign the paperwork. So if if it's not going to be, if you're going to have to pay the money, get somebody good. If you're going to have to pay the money, but you're not going to get anything, it really doesn't matter who you get, I guess, if it's just perfunctorily signing a piece of paper. So I wish I knew more. I know Hawaii is about as bad as California. You've got a, a very similar system set up there for getting into business. And I've I've had people get, get in that situation too in that state. But I think those are the only two states like that exactly. So I'm sorry, sorry for your troubles. That is tough. Other questions, guys, just general business questions. I'm happy to answer them. Anybody, wave your hand at the screen. Dale, go ahead. So um, with this being the end of the year, um, thinking about forecasting for the year coming up. Um, so like strategic forecasting, do you usually suggest like you kind of take your goal and then reverse engineer from there? Like say we're at X, we want to be at Y, what's that going to take? And then sort of like stage that out timeframe wise and like set some goals. Like what, what's your advice for that? So I think when you're doing forecasting for the year, most people focus on the outputs. They set these output goals. And like you said, you want to back into it. So for example, the first thing I would do is set an income goal. I can't tell you how often people are far more often people set these sales goals, but then I ask them, what's their income goal? And they don't have an income goal. I'd rather erase the sales goal and put an income goal there. And once you put your income goal there, then there's a few things that control it, right? 
you know, the persuasiveness of your sales process is a big one. It costs very little money to improve, but you get a huge benefit from it. It controls your average transaction size, the elasticity with which you can uh, adjust your hourly rate. Because if you raise your hourly rate by 10% and you're not going to see if your closing rate, if it's 30 or 40 or 50%, whatever yours happens to be, you're not going to see it reduced by 10%. Uh, and if, if you can raise your transaction size from an average of 4,000, 8,000, whatever yours is, to 5,000 or 9,000, that's going to make a big difference as well. So the sales process is one of the first places I look at to improve because it doesn't, it really costs very little. It's more that it's the process that the client goes through and every lead that comes in your business is going to go through that. It's almost like if marketing is, is mining the gold, then sales is what the refinery does that, that creates the output, which is a signed contract. And then, and then that signed contract operations turns into cash. And so then, you know, the next place I would look, which is easy to look and it doesn't cost a lot of money is operations inputs. What are you going to do with your operations process? Is it a save labor bonus program? Is it an ultimate crew leader packet? Is it uh, changing up the way you incentivize and run your company meetings? Uh, is it the way you track uh, and do job costing? I don't know what it is. And I don't know how big your business is. And so how, how what are your sales and where are you? Uh, 1.3. And where? Um, in uh, Rhode Island, uh, so New England. Okay, so you're going to have a higher, a higher, higher hourly bill rate. So you got 1.3 and you take 60 or 70 and you divide it into that, however many men you got. Uh, but I would back into that. Um, I would back into that and I would start with sales and operations first and then maybe even recruitment and hiring. And then I would go to marketing unless you've got things in your marketing that you're not picking up. Like if you, if you haven't contacted your past clients, if you don't have a reactivation or a retention system, and if you're just sitting on something that's blatantly obvious to do in marketing, but I always like to start in sales and operations first because marketing, even the best type of marketing requires some kind of, you know, expenditure. Well, good. Thank you. All right. Other questions. Hey, Brandon, you, when you were doing the slides there, you uh, had John come up on the screen. How do we get a hold of him? John, you can just email online leads. Okay. Online leads at paintersacademy.com. And if for some reason you don't, uh, you don't have, if you can't remember it, you send it, it bounces back to you. You've got my email, which is just brandon at paintersacademy.com. And you just right. send it to me. Yeah, I don't know. Send that. Having a hard time trying to find like a good Facebook marketing. Company. Well, some things we do, so, some uh, things we don't. It just depends. And you talked to okay. John. We don't. We we try to be really good at what we do, but we try not to do everything that we're not good at. Okay. And so that's, that's good. You know, a lot of people are like, we'll be your online everything. I'm like, yeah. Well, usually when people do everything, they do nothing very well. And right. so we try to just we focus what we do do well. We do well. Um, Sounds good. Other questions. Hey, Brandon, you can't see my my hand waving, but my, my webcam's broken. I have a question about, um, I went to one of your seminars three years ago. It was an excellent experience. My company's grown since then. And the thing I'm running into is in order to grow, it's, it's cash flow, where you have different kinds of uh, clientele that pay on a different time frame, and it's a large amount of money. And by the time you deposit the money, it doesn't clear quickly enough. And I didn't know if you're going to go over anything to bridge the gap with... Um, proceeds and and your your amount of money that you have to pay out on a regular basis 
how big how big of a company are you running and what type of work are you doing it's mostly residential some commercial it's about 800 850. so you shouldn't have cash flow problems in a residential company let me ask you a couple of questions are your guys collecting the check at the end of every project immediately we are the, the problem is my bank really i i formed a subchapter s corp this year and i'm with a new bank so they're really slow at processing their money it takes at least seven days to, to, to clear a check it's going to take a year bank of america oh so, you don't ever do business with bank of america yeah they're well i know terrible. that now <laughs> No, so maybe, you go, maybe go to another bank. Number one, you need to go find yourself some some small local bank. Mm -hmm. Five years from now, they'll be bought by another bank. So then you have to go find yourself another small local bank. Right. Uh, but Bank of America is terrible. They are the probably the worst bank for a small business owner to do, or just any person. They're really good. They primarily market. To be honest with you, they're primary primarily market to poor people. I mean, that's really like they're. I mean, if you you can you can almost look at a bank of america atm anywhere in the united states of america and like wrapped around it's like folks that barely have any money and that's what they do they're like they're like a mass mass marketer and unless your your market may be different but i would go to a small local bank number one number two um if you've got cash flow problems are you doing are you doing labor hour tracking and job costing do you run w-2s or do you run subs what do you run so i made a huge you know, talk about turning the ship around. And I realized I was running things the wrong way. I was doing subcontractor labor. And I know that they couldn't all be considered subcontractors because of the relationship some of them had with me. So I have six full-time and I have three or four subs. Um, there are times where, you know, I'm doing much, much higher volume. I, you know, um, I've, I've probably had four subs running at the same time and, and have my six guys flat out you know, for a few months in the summertime, but it's it's a little bit slower right now. But um, it's just it's it's such a lot well, of money. You should well just again, if you're making fifty percent gross profit, and if you're doing job costing, are you doing job costing on a daily basis? Like, I mean, do you give your guys labor hour targets, and you're tracking it every day? Are you do you know have an idea of what your gross profits are on your projects as a percentage? I, I'm I'm doing the best I can. My guys, um, the whole labor market changed where I'm at. I'm in uh, the North Shore of Boston. And it's yeah it's like the, the, the labor market doesn't have much to do i mean i've got folks that i work with in philadelphia and every other northeastern you know mm -hmm. metroplex that you can think of new york city etc if you've got cash flow problems you've probably got gross profitability and operations problems number one and then they they manifest themselves as cash flow problems because the thing is you got to figure there's 12 months in a year right Let's just pretend like it's your your pay cycle is somewhere around ten percent. Well, if your profits are twenty or thirty percent instead of fifty, and if you're running larger projects, like if you're in Boston and you're doing these painted ladies or these old houses or whatever, and and the jobs are larger, they're they're good, but they're larger. But if your profits aren't that good, well, then you get tied up because the transaction size is big, but the gross profits are small, and you don't have an operating reserve, and that creates a problem. So the the, the first step is to do job costing, make sure your production rates line up. And then to, to see if your gross profit margins are where they are. If they are, you should be safe, and it shouldn't be an issue even if people are slow pay. Now, number, number two, to keep people from being slow pay, you need to be collecting those checks uh, immediately upon the job being done. We have a dual column checklist process that we use in the customer satisfaction survey. They collect the check at the end of the bank, even at the end of the job, even if they're subs is what I recommend. 
and then uh, you get that stuff deposited, changed to a small bank, and then finally, if you ever get to a situation where you tr truly do have cash flow issues but not profitability uh, issues where you're doing large commercial contracts, et cetera, you can research uh, something called accounts receivable financing, which is different from factoring. And if you will find a uh, SBA authorized bank, they tend to be small banks. An SBA, SBA authorized bank, you can go through the process. It's a little lengthy where they will do what they call accounts receivable lending. And they will actually, the, the, client, the, the clients mail the checks to the bank, the bank deposits them. And they keep a running total of your AR, and they and it's very inexpensive because it's SBA backed. Uh, factoring can be very expensive, but accounts receivable uh, lending is a lot cheaper. So uh, I hope that that helps. That. I'm going to try to take somebody else's question. I'm sorry, people ask these simple questions, and they're really not damn simple. And people ask them to me all the time. Well, I got this problem with, and I was like, well, have you got an hour to talk about it? Because like you got to dig in and figure out what the problem is. And uh, and I, I still don't know what it is. If I had you for an hour on the phone, I could figure out what it was. Uh, other questions, Brian, go ahead, sir. Um, and just mentioned you mentioned job costing. Is there outside of QuickBooks any paint specific job costing app or any estimating app that has it built in? I've been looking at Paint Scout here, but they don't have that built in. So honestly, you can just use an Excel sheet. I got another member who we have we have the just very simple one project Excel sheets and weekly and monthly uh, job costing. Would you suggest Enhanceify Company for financing jobs? I don't know anything about them. I could not recommend them. Sorry, I just saw something pop up down here and I get distracted. John, will you you can't read the questions being asked, can you? If you can, I'll maybe I'll go to the online questions at the end. Sorry, I got distracted, Brian. Um, so number one, you, Excel is perfectly fine. The main thing is this. When you use production rates with W-2s, if you have subs and you're just giving them a flat rate, there's not a whole lot of job costing, although you can use a saved material bonus program uh, that can help keep the materials uh, under control. And I do recommend that even if you run subs, you buy your own materials and mark them up, and you should be getting 50% on the materials just like you do the labor and that becomes a profit source, not an expense source. And if you give them a share in what is saved in the materials, you, you don't have overruns um, like you would if there, there's no uh, repercussions for them being irresponsible with the materials. But nonetheless, if it's if it's just good old W-2s, then all you got to do is like, okay, this job's got 100 labor hours in it. You got two men on the job. You're going to use 16 hours a day, and we're going to subtract 16 hours from 100, just like old like an, like an old-fashioned check register. And then you come up with your average charge rate, uh, your average pay rate with labor burden, and you just track it. And then it'll spit out your gross profits. Now, I've got a member who runs a very small painting business. It's like him and two or three buddies. Guy makes two hundred and fifty to $300,000 a year. And he, he's very small, but very profitable operation um, in and around Cleveland. Uh, I, may not, I may be misremembering my city. But uh, he didn't want to mess around with that, so he just used daggum paper. And so it's really very elementary uh, when you think about it. And we try to overcomplicate it. Is there some kind of complicated application I can use? And so my philosophy with all my clients has always been first get effective, then get efficient. Most people never even get effective. Even if it's complicated or aggravating or even if it requires some uh, manual labor on your part, 
and I don't mean manual, like, you know, pickaxe and shovel paintbrush, but I mean, like you have to create the thing and save the thing and print the thing off or, or edit it or manipulate it. Uh, if it's, if it's helping you make the money on the project, that's all that matters. Cause if you, if you don't hit that 50% gross profit, you'll never get to that 30% cash flow to owner number you want to be at. So that's a long, long answer for a short question. Other questions, questions, general business questions before I hop off here. We are at the top of the hour. All right, gentlemen. Let me look in the old chat box here and make sure I didn't miss one that popped up. And it, da, da, da. what do we got here? How do you get leads? That's the only thing I'm having a hard time to do. Well, that's, that's not a very good question to text me, Kenny. That's a big one. So let me give you the short answer. Number one, it depends on your situation. If you're an old established painting business, and you're sitting on hundreds or thousands of past client and unconverted lead records, yet you do not have any type of process for consistently communicating with them, that's the first place to start. Always pick the lowest hanging fruit first. Lowest hanging fruit first. The second place that I would recommend, you know, if you're established, is to go after, after your B2B referral sources. Other tradespeople. Uh, roofers, gutter folks, there are programs you can put in place, flooring folks, uh, realtors, etc. They're in front of the type of people that you want to service, and they're servicing them, and they will trust a referral from you, but it requires a programmatic communication program, sometimes referrals and incentives, but honestly, the communication is more important, uh, and you can facilitate it even better by putting together your own referral group or joining and then uh, making more efficient an existing referral group. So th those are the first two places I always start. Another one is to make sure you do your operational marketing in and around the job properly, uh, just to make sure you've got an operational tailwind. And, you know, your your website is something that you have to work on and invest money and time in because you own the property as your social media platforms. And you got to put that stuff in and you have to just consistently reinvest in it and put time time or money into it properly. Because you own the thing. You don't own Angie's list. You don't own Craigslist. You don't own any of the other lists. You don't own Home Advisor. And they are, you know, giving you're giving them money to compete with you online to get between you and your clients and then resell them to you over and over again, which is just fool's errand. And they're shoving those things in front of multiple contractors, which is a race to the bottom. So you don't want to try to put your money there if you can. Uh, and then from there, uh, you know, the main thing is to make sure that you have good tracking for the money that you're spending on advertising so that you know the average transaction size, the close rate, and this is the most important number, the cost of sale. The cost of sale is how much money it takes you through that medium uh, to get a job. For example, if you pay $100 a lead, and if you only close 25% of those leads, and if the average job is $2,000 that you close out of that platform, well, that means that you're paying $400 to get a $2,000 job, which means before you even start painting the thing, you've only got $1,600 left to work with. So if you're not doing the math on anything that you're spending money on to generate uh, leads, you're, you're really making a, a bad mistake. So without knowing your, your specific personal situation, it would be very difficult for me to give you the best advice, but those are some general principles that I apply. Any other questions before we call this thing quits? On the on this the first day of the, the year officially 
you know, at least the first government holiday of the year. So yesterday didn't even count, but today the mail's not running. John, you got a question? You have to unmute yourself, John. Okay, now I'm unmuted. Um, no, actually, just a comment. Um, guys, if you cannot physically get to Summit, virtual is worth every dime. Everything that goes on will be online. Um, I promise you it is worth your time. And uh, just real quick, Thomas, I'll give you a call after this is all done and, and we'll talk. Excellent, buddy. And John does most of the virtual stuff. He's the one that mans, hey, the, he, he mans the Zoom meeting while I'm running the live meeting and he gets all the stuff together for us to send out. All right. Any other questions before we wrap this puppy up? All right, guys. Happy New Year. There's no reason 2023 can't be the best year ever. I hope to see you live and in person. If you have very low expectations, you will not be disappointed in meeting me. Uh, I'm not much to, to I'm very about five foot five and a half. That last that last part matters a lot when you're five foot five and a half proportionally. And so uh, I'd love to shake your hand, meet you. If not, I'd love to talk to you, facilitate your peer group uh, via Zoom. We'll have a good time and we'll learn something and it'll be profitable for you. All right, guys, take care. Happy New Year. See you soon.